incredibly philanthropic people that are like, I realize I have too much money. I have to, you know, and I've got folks like that that are just so unbelievably generous with their wealth. And it's right. just like, I don't almost, I don't deserve this. So I'm going to give it to, yeah. Yeah, it's he probably He probably has to run across those people all the time. There's some great folks that live here. There are. There really are. Thank you for being here. We're uh, going to get rolling on this thing. I want to start this uh, podcast with my friend Kevin Copas of how we met because the story is is just an amazing worthy of sharing story and, and worthy of sharing so emily my wife and i uh we had a tree hit our house and it was right in the middle of covid so there were, the hotels weren't open and we found a place to live over in a little town called manson washington in eastern washington by lake chelan so we moved the kids over there and, and i would still drive the pass back and forth because i you know a realtor so i was you know i had clients over here and a couple of times a week i'd bounce back and there's no costco in chelan so this specific trip, I came back and I had one job that was to get dog food. So I swung into Costco, bolted in, got dog food, and I buy the big 50 pound huge bag of dog food. And I'm it's in the cart, I roll out to my Mustang, and as I put the cart right next to the, the back of the Mustang, uh, it just dawned on me, I was like, how in the hell am I gonna get this thing out of the cart and into my trunk without ripping the bag open? And I heard a, a man's voice just say, hey man, do you need help with that? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I backed up, whoever it was, lifted up the dog food, put it in the trunk, and then grabbed the cart and just walked away. And I was like, hey, thanks so much, yeah, no problem. And I get the cart too. So I never even saw who that person was really. And off he, off he was, super cool, people are great like that, they help me out all the time, appreciate the offer and, and the help. And then I got in the car and drove back to Chelan. Two days later, two days, Emily and I are sitting at one of the wineries outside and I went to use the bathroom, which was kind of behind the winery. And as I got up and rolled to the back, I went by my car and a woman said, oh, excuse me, is that your Mustang? And I said, yeah, it is. And she went, well, this is kind of random, but can I ask you how you drive? She said, I'm a, I'm a physical therapist and I work with kids with disabilities and I'd really love to see your hand controls. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So you know, I opened up the car and she got into the car and was playing around with my hand controls and I didn't you know, know up and down. Yeah, and she, you know, I, she was just practicing. We were talking about it and I was answering all these questions and she went, oh, okay, thank you so much. It's awesome, I appreciate it. And then she and I walked back into the winery area and I stopped at our table and then she walked across the, the yard basically is what it is, an outdoor seating and just sat down. And I don't know how many minutes it was later, but it was a few minutes later, all of a sudden you walked up to my table. Well, I saw as she came to me and sat down, you know, I saw you behind her and I thought, I know that guy from somewhere. Where do I recognize that guy? And then it clicked to me and I had not shared the story with Amanda. And I learned Amanda, I'm like, I helped that guy load dog food from Costco into his car a couple of days ago, you know? And then so she and I were starting to talk about it. She's telling me all about the hand controls that you're typical Amanda. I, I did not surprise me at all that she like wanted to jump in the car. I want to do that later. Yeah. Um, but 
we then were like, hey, we got to go say hi. And so then we went over, what, introduced ourselves? Yeah, we came and, over and introduced yourselves and said, hey, did you get the dog food here all right? Yeah. And I looked up at you and I was like, what? And then I thought, no, it was you that 48 hours before had been the guy that put dog food in the back of my car. Yeah, how and awkward then, it would have been if you didn't remember me. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> well, I didn't know who you were. I That's true. Yeah, you, you hadn't seen me. But, yeah. I mean, obviously, there was only one person in the world who had helped me put dog food in yeah. the car. So then you, you guys came and joined us right. and you came and joined our table and then as we were talking, just to make the story even more random, somehow the conversation came up that I was a fishing hunting guide up in Alaska, and that's you know when I got injured and put myself in the wheelchair was because I was working for that lodge. And Amanda said, "Oh gosh, you know my my brother and dad go up to a fishing and hunting lodge up in Alaska. Where is it?" And I said, "Oh, it's in you know Southeast Alaska. It's called Pybus." And she went Point Lodge. And then she pulled up her phone and pulled a picture up of her dad and brother sitting underneath the sign that I made, staying in the lodge that I helped build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 20, 30 years before. Yeah, and the conversation continued and we realized yeah. we knew different people or yep. the same people in right. different organizations or nonprofits or people who do fundraising. So, yep. And then about uh, a week and a half, two weeks later, I was back on, on the western side of the mountains and I was sitting in the parking lot in Rite Aid and oh, she right. walked in front of my car and I just hit the horn and I rolled my window down. I was like, are you stalking me? Yeah. <laughs> and she looked back and went, no, I think you're stalking me. So within a two week period of time, I had ran into you at Costco and, and Woodenville. And then we ran into both of you in Japan. Yeah. And then I wow. saw Amanda again in Woodenville and we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Totally random story. On it that is. One. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, had I only known though, yeah, right, what I know exactly. now. Both of us would be like, what the? <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, you get that dog food on yourself, bro. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And I think I had actually gone, you know, you said you went for dog food only. Randomly, I went for toothpaste. Oh. <laughs> Who goes to Costco for like just toothpaste? Yeah. But whatever reason, I had that. Yeah, and I, so. That's so funny. So, yeah, I mean, and you. You don't ever go to Costco for one thing. I mean, it's right, 100 right. bucks or more. So the yeah, fact that we were yeah. both there, it's just... Or you like, already you walk out with something that you didn't intend to walk out right. with. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for being here today. It's uh, It's been fun to you know get to know you and Amanda. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you to be... Or one of the reasons why I asked you to be you know a part of this podcast was because it's about mindset. And the, the whole idea of mindset. And from my world of being in a manual wheelchair... You know, I, I focus on accessibility as a mindset because, you know, I, I love to say this. I say it to everybody. If if everybody in the world was in a wheelchair, the whole world would be wheelchair accessible, mm-hmm. which means that it's possible. Mm-hmm. So in the world of accessibility for me, it's not about the feature set of accessibility. It's not about the grab bar or the ramp. It's about the mentality and the attitude behind why do we need the grab bar and the ramp and how are we going to put it in? And how can we normalize it basically that's, to, and, yeah. And how does it, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's perfect way to Because if it. everyone was in a wheelchair, it would be normal. It would just right. be normal. Well, and having put myself in a chair when I was 22 and now, you know, I'm mid fifties, uh, it's my normal, but not mm-hmm. everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sharing that mindset and with what you do and, you know, and the situation in your life that you're in, I just, I thought it was perfect for you and I to talk about mindset. So, um, Give me a little bit of your story, you know, of, of why we're here and, and the idea of epilepsy because you have epilepsy. Yeah. Where has that 
driven your life? And I know I'm asking three different questions at once, but give me a little bit of your story. So let's, I'll, I'll share my story with, with epilepsy, but let's talk maybe a little bit about just mindset. My mindset, my personal mindset, and I, I can't really explain it other than I've always felt a sense of like just natural compassion towards people who have disabilities. And I think it's, again, I can't explain it, but I think it's, my mindset is until I meet someone who has openly welcomed the opportunity to have cerebral palsy or, you know, openly welcomed the opportunity to, you know, be paralyzed or, you know, or to have epilepsy, I cannot like not help them. And so I think in your case, it was just like natural that, you know, I, I went over and offered to help and you could have said screw you or whatever, but it, it almost would have felt more awkward to just walk past you, I think. And again, you know, I can't, it's just always been a part of like my mindset, I guess. Right. Um, and, uh, but personally, I, I grew up with epilepsy. I, um, I'll kind of share my journey here. So I had encephalitis when I was very young, one or two years old. So very young, um, pretty severe case. So it left, you know, scar tissue on my brain. And I went all the way through elementary school having what I could only describe as like panicky sensations that just a, just a feeling didn't feel right. And as a little kid, I didn't really have words for it, you know, so I just kind of like let it happen. And it was only about 10, 20 seconds long. And the funny thing is I was completely conscious what was happening. So I could be having one like while we're talking right now and I knew just something didn't feel right. And I only had them maybe two or three times a year. So I wasn't having them like every day. So what happened, I would kind of let it pass. I would go back to playing with my friends and I didn't say anything to my parents about it, which oh, sounds wow. kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I think twofold, maybe it would be my parents might look at it and say, well, oh, that's just normal or, you know, get over it kind of thing. Or I also, I think a part of me felt it was just normal. Like all kids had this because I didn't have anything else to compare it against. I was just going to ask. Yeah, I really yeah. didn't. You know, you and this know was just like, I don't know that that's not normal. Right. Yeah. So I just kind of like would let it happen and I would go about. And then my freshman year in high school, you know, you're hitting puberty, body's changing. My brother finds me on the front porch of our house when he gets home and I'm passed out on the front porch. And I think he then, you know, assumed that someone had jumped me and went into the house. So he looked around and then called in on one. Um, that turned out that that was a seizure, it was unwitnessed, um, but it was a seizure. And, you know, I'm sure I had another one a couple days later, go to the doctor, I get the diagnosis of epilepsy, start medicine. At some point along those lines, I spoke up about these feelings. I, you know, I was able to draw the connection. Right. Um, of course, as I was learning more about epilepsy and that there's more than one type of seizure, um, so it was, you know, concluded that that seizure I had on the front porch is probably they call it tonic-clonic seizures now. Back in the old days, it was grand mal seizures. Um, so I spoke up about these feelings, and turns out those were seizures that I was having as a kid. Wow. And they're just called focal aware seizures. So. Folks have those types of seizures where they're conscious while it's going on. Um, and so we went through that journey of medicine, uh, high school, college, you know, one medicine after the other, trying to find something that can control the seizures. Never found any solution, complete solution to it. Um, a year or two out of college, I had brain surgery. So they talked about that and they, they, they realized that it was the scar tissue in my brain after, of course, you know, lots of testing. 
um, concluded that it was scar tissue from that encephalitis infection that was causing the seizure. So fortunately for me, which is not the case with everybody, but fortunately for me, it was in an operable area where they could go in and do a resection. So they they removed part of that scar tissue area, and then I was seizure-free um, for a year, got my license, got a 98 black Mustang. Life was good. Uh, then driving back from Christmas um, at my folks' house, I was going back, I was living in San Francisco at the time. Um, Driving back to San Francisco, I'm on the driving the Mustang on the freeway. I felt that panicky feeling again wow. as a kid, and I'm like, "This can't be true." You know, I don't have these anymore, right? And so I just kind of kept on driving, thinking it was deja vu or something it would go away. Next thing I know, I wake up and I have a voice in my head that's saying, "I'm an off-duty fireman. Hang out here. Don't move. There's help on the way." And turned out I had went into a seizure in the car going probably 80 to 90 miles an hour in the freeway. Wow. And, um, you know, fortunately everyone survived, folks fine. I went into the center divide and kind of crashed there. And then here I go, I'm starting the journey all over again. I'm having seizures again. Um, spiraled into major depression, you know, life sucked for sure for, for a couple of years there is I, you know, I was lucky to have some very understanding, compassionate friends that I was living with in San Francisco, uh, bachelor pad with some guys and, and they kind of got it and they had seen me have seizures in college. Um, how old were you at this point? So this was probably, uh, mid, this is mid twenties. Okay. So year or two out of college. Um, and then, yeah, just all over again. And then I had a job in San Francisco and I was having seizures on the streets. I was having them on buses, on the train. I had a seizure where I wandered off a train platform and fell onto train tracks. And the good thing is the train was running late. So the bad thing is there was a ton of people standing around and watching me having an embarrassing episode right. of something that happened. So. Yeah. I woke up in the ambulance, um, so I didn't see who wasn't ever to thank whoever may have jumped on the tracks or not, or if they called 911. Um, and I'm drawing out a longer story, no, but okay. but long story short, I moved up to Seattle after getting married, um, met with a whole new group of neurologists. The level of care is unbelievable, and they they said, hey, maybe they didn't get enough of that area. Second operation. 15 years ago, and I've been seizure-free since then. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, wow still on a little bit of medicine. I came off the medicine after being seizure free and I had a seizure. Um, it was probably deemed a withdraw seizure because my body had been on medicine since high school, essentially. Got it. Um, but I'm still on small dose. So yeah, that's my story and how I got connected. Uh, so now I work for the Epilepsy Foundation. Right. And I saw that they have a, they had a camp. I don't know how I came across their website. I've now been working for the foundation for 15 years. And so this was like 2007 when I started as a volunteer. I saw that they had a camp for kids with epilepsy. So volunteered as a camp counselor. Uh, two years into that, the executive director at the time said, hey, we're looking to hire. Uh, I was a little unhappy in the corporate job I was in. So I quit my job and made a total 180, went back to school and got a master's in nonprofit management. And I've been with the Epilepsy Foundation ever since. Um, in a variety of roles, I'm now the executive director in a couple different states, so Washington, Oregon, and Alaska. So, Fantastic. But back to yours, again, you're running into you, um, it was just natural kind of a thing that I saw you and you needed help, so 
put my toothpaste down, went and helped you with the dog food, and off we went. Little did we know it was going to spiral into this. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Well, it's it's amazing because from my perspective, that that experience that happens to me, that people will just come out of the woodwork and offer help, and I've always been one. Always, even before I put myself in the wheelchair, was you know that it's okay to ask for help. That you're stronger when you ask somebody else for help because that's the mindset of help is not a positive experience for no. you know many that if i have to burden you by asking you for help it means that i can't do it by myself and i'm a weaker person because of it but yet that is a perfect example of well when you offered help and i humbled myself enough to accept the help even though i was kind of hoping for it anyhow that i then gained your strength yeah. So now you and I together, even though we don't even know each other's names, I have no idea who you are. You've just helped me accomplish something that would have been really complicated for me to do by myself. And I probably would have ripped the dog food bag and there would have been food everywhere. And it, I just and I would have so. laughed super you hard. Would have laughed, <laughs> and you should have. Well, now you know. <laughs> now so I would. No, I would not have. I would not have laughed had I saw that. I probably would have asked for a broom or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that you just you know epitomize that whole. Hey, it's okay to ask somebody for help, and then they have to be in the right mindset. To accept, to accept that, yeah, because yeah. there is there is a level of pride there of well, you know, I can do it myself. And to be honest, there are certain things that it's easier for me to do. Getting my wheelchair in and out of the car, it's easier for me to do it than it is for you. People offer all the time. Sometimes people don't offer; they just pick up my chair and push it at me. And that gets a little irritating. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, I don't mind the offer because I can say no gracefully and say, you know what, it's actually easier if I do it by myself. Yeah. But being able, not being worried about asking is huge it is and and it's not to at all minimize your situation but but the having epilepsy isn't it's an invisible disability that's right and asking help makes it even harder because they're like you look normal why are you asking for help why do you what do you mean you need a ride somewhere you know or it's it's extremely hard to explain so a lot of people don't talk about it you know I only tell the people that have to know, you know, right. um, so, but, but it's a pride thing. You're right. And asking for help, you know, I, my friends had to give me a ride to work. Um, lots of things that I needed to rely on them for, but you're right. I, I mean, I love the, what you said about, we learn, you know, we kind of build off of each other because, uh, yeah, that's a great point. As but, a group, we're stronger than we are as an individual. Yep. I know that there's multiple different types of epilepsy. Is that the best way to describe mm-hmm. that? yours i didn't realize was from when you were really young so your whole life you've you've had to to deal with it mm-hmm. in some one is way there, or the other right is um, there there's later onset where this the first time it won't happen to somebody who's older oh it, it let's say it can strike at any age at any time so you my friend are not out of the woods yourself got it. because mm-hmm. it really can manifest itself at you know in any way and and 70 percent of the cases they don't know why and how it started really and as you get older you know you can attribute some stuff to stroke you know some things like that but i was in kind of that lucky 30 percent category where they were able to pinpoint you know a focal cause for it and then even narrow it down to where they were able to find an operable area but i remember that distinctly remember that doctor appointment where i was had gone through the testing and now we were going to find out if i was a surgical candidate or not right and if the answer was no, I mean, that's a whole mindset in itself is like, here I am, you know, and I had tried every medicine in the book. So that wasn't a solution. A lot of this was before nowadays, they've got, you know, devices that they can implant in you, um, which wow. wasn't out as much. 
Um, I mean, the technology is just unbelievable how stuff continues to advance. They're doing laser surgery these days for epilepsy. Wow. And I mean, I think we're we're only 10 years away and the doctors who are listening to this will probably laugh at me, but I think we're maybe, we're not too far from outpatient brain surgery. If they're doing like laser surgery and your recovery time is that fast, that, um, yeah. And again, it's, we're gifted with smart people in our lives. Yeah, we sure are. Yeah. Well, just, you know, from my experience of, uh, I've got this new wheelchair <laughs> and it's made out of carbon fiber Oh yeah, and it weighs a th- two thirds less really? than what every chair I've ever had. And I don't know if my, if Emily, my wife and my kids like it more than I, they, I do because they pick it up and put it on the car. Yeah. So just but the technology just... of where it's come is just fantastic. Yeah. And letting that technology kind of drive us in the right direction. Yeah. So I want to, I want to bring it back to mindset a little bit. Um, as the executive director of an organization like this, are you promoting research? Are you promoting support? Are you, what does the foundation do to help the community of epilepsy? Um, well, we're services and program based okay. with the fundraising component to it. Right. Um, which I'm learning more about. Yeah. Which you'll be assisting later. That's right. <laughs> um, and um, so we've got two biggest programs we're proud of here in, in the West Coast is I mentioned the camp that I started as a volunteer. Right. And that's where the majority of our fundraising dollars go towards is we pay for that camp for those kids to come, which um, brings in a lot of low income families who couldn't otherwise, you know, afford because camps are expensive. It's yes, like, you know, a thousand something dollars to send your kid to a camp. Right. Um, so we pride ourselves on that, that we, you know, have these events, these fundraising events, so we can we can then turn around and pay for you know, campers, kids, and volunteers. Um, the camp does bring in, you know, kids. It's it for ages seven to sixteen, and then we ask them to kind of take a year off, and then when they're eighteen, they can apply to be volunteers. Oh, good. Um, we found that a year off helps differentiate coming back as an authority figure and not a camper. Right. So we forced them to do that. Um, in fact, to show you how long I've been around, I last year wrote a known her since she was seven when she started coming to camp and I wrote her college letter of recommendation, you know, for her. Yes. So I've known her for that long. Um, so the, the camp is a big thing for us. Um, we do camps in Washington and Oregon. We opened a camp in Oregon. That's probably seven or eight years now after our Washington campus getting so big, we were getting people coming from different states. And then on the adult side, because adults are impacted by epilepsy and need, you know, attention, I feel for that. And and so we started a where well, we didn't start it, although it was founded here in University of Washington by um, the late Bob Frazier and Erica Johnson, both researchers at University of Washington, launched a program called PACES. And it is an adult self-management program for adults with epilepsy. And it's offered in like a cohort fashion where five or six people together go through an eight-week course once a week. In fact, I think they're getting together tonight. They go through eight different chapters. Uh, One of the chapters talks about how to manage and cope with depression associated with epilepsy. Uh, Another topic is focused on the cognitive deficits associated with epilepsy, like memory um, retentions and how to overcome stuff like like just tips, you know, for for learning to overcome that. Um, social skills, stuff like that. Um, so that's a big thing for us for on the adult side. Um, and then, yeah, support groups that we have for adults with epilepsy and parents, caregivers. Um, 
my parents didn't really have much of a network and and this is my mission as an executive director is to just talk more about it you know and this is you know perfect example in this podcast but when i was a kid the doctor that treated me you know we were focused on medicine we adjusted my medicine obviously because i was still having seizures just in medicine and then we left and that was it that was it they never talked about resources available to my parents support groups available to my parents other stuff they could have benefited from so my mission is to say hey docs let's also talk about this in the doctor visits tell these parents about the epilepsy foundation and that these resources exist and that you know we have a camp where kids could then meet other kids and the other thing i forgot to mention about our camp and in, in that we're unique is it's open to siblings also oh okay so oh, that's we, fantastic yeah so siblings have a chance to then meet other siblings so everybody understands it at the camp not everybody has epilepsy because it's siblings come um but they all speak the language and we get a lot of volunteer parent volunteers who are then meeting each other and being able to network on that side um so yeah it's it's a special opportunity for kids and families to come together and kind of like see that they're not the only one that that's right you know and and the same is true from a fundraising perspective because we do have an annual walk that we do um and it's another good gathering moment for people to kind of look around and say hey i'm not the only one that you know that's has epilepsy and again it's part of that hidden aspect to it is even at the walk you're kind of looking around you're like okay who has epilepsy who's a caregiver here you just don't know and then (laughs) so it's really a special thing it's a it's a big thing the the invisible disability side of things mm-hmm. because obviously mine is is noticed i'm in a wheelchair you know and and there are some who don't want the wheelchair to be highlighted in their lives you know look mm-hmm. at me not my wheelchair which mm-hmm. i completely mm-hmm. understand i'm totally. just the opposite of that it's like hey man i'm in a chair it is what it's it just yeah. it, it's just my life it's it's who i am it's part of my you know part of my persona now but with epilepsy and with other you know invisible disabilities there there has to be a different mindset because like you said earlier, someone doesn't know unless you tell them mm-hmm. and you have, you then get to choose when you tell them, hopefully, you know, well, and then when you do that, you kind of sit back and wait for the reaction. That's right. You know, and either they, you know, I've had, I've gotten calls from folks that my son or my daughter was told she can no longer play on the soccer team because we told her, you know, we disclosed that she has epilepsy or they, they, they saw a seizure. And so because it's so stigmatized and people are, you know, sort of afraid of it a little bit, so people are discriminated against. And, you know, we've had, we get calls on occasion where people were arrested because they were in a seizure and someone called the police, not realizing, not being trained on that is a type of seizure. Um, and so that's a frustrating, that's, that's our job again, is to just talk about it and normalize it as much as we can. and. When you do some of that, um, some of the time, people will then become comfortable disclosing their own connection that they have. That's right. Oh, my brother has epilepsy, you know, and they would never have thought to bring that up had you not mentioned it to them. And I remember very vividly remember um, I was talking with someone about whether he was going to disclose his epilepsy in a job interview. And we always, I mean, that's a really sticky topic. We kind of have to like deflect it back to them. It's up to your comfort level and what you want to do. And he, decided to disclose it and he was telling me he said yeah as soon as i said it the guy 
you know, almost celebrated because his brother had epilepsy oh. and he was immediately able to relate and talk about his experience. And he's like, I was just so glad I did it. And, you know, because and of course he got the job and he didn't have to talk about it when he started the job because this guy, you know, he knew it. His brother had it. Right. right. So, well, it's the same situation for me as when I was doing job, inter- not even job interviews, when I was just meeting with people, I, I have a little bit of a formula of when I let them know I'm in a chair yeah. because yeah. I don't want them to worry about it. I don't want them to be be you know so focused on the fact that i'm in a chair but they need to know because if their office is up three flights of stairs mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if it's in a non-accessible situation or even if the building you know i need to get around the back just right before the meeting i'll say hey you know by the way just want you to know i'm in a chair you know and then yeah, it, the situation and it usually it, it curbs that fear of all of a sudden i come into the room and i'm like oh my god we didn't know yeah, and, and you have to, um, but it's not like you, the first time you talk to someone on the phone, hi, my name is Barry Long and I'm in a wheelchair, just exactly, so you know. that's right. <laughs> and I didn't, like when I loaded your dog food, hey, my name's Kevin, I have epilepsy, just, yeah, you know, in case you're wondering, exactly. you know, <laughs> we don't do that. Well, you know, <laughs> well, it's interesting is just recently, you know, I called you panicked, you know, on a Sunday afternoon because someone very close to me had a seizure. Right. And, uh, and it was super scary for everybody involved and no one knew why or what or what to do or how to go next. And I, I mean, obviously I've now known you, I just picked up the phone and you brought me off the ledge Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and said, you know, just about, you know, everybody can have a seizure. Many people will in their lives. Mm-hmm. One in 10. Yeah. Which is amazing to me. Um, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that we found out that this individual was just very dehydrated, traveling, mm-hmm. jumped up too fast, was excited, hadn't eaten anything that day. Nope. Boom, hit the ground. Nope. You know? So I, I, I appreciate that education that you just gave to me because I would have had no way of knowing that. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's about communicating it. About communicating it, um, and yeah, just just the more you talk about it, and the more people start to disclose. Because there are plenty of people. There's lots. I think it, the number is oh, 60, 70 percent of people are controlled on medicine. Really, their seizures are uh, under control. Okay. Um, I know one guy that uh, I work with that hasn't had a seizure since junior high, and he's now from I mean, his forties, early forties, I believe. Um, but he's still on medicine. And he just hasn't doesn't right. he has no interest in coming off of it. You can grow out of epilepsy as a kid. You can have seizures as a kid, and as your body changes, mine changed for the worse when I hit puberty because then yeah. I started having more. Others changed, you know, in the other direction. My um, another friend of mine that um, probably only told me he had seizures because he knew where I worked, right. but he had it when he was a kid. He doesn't have them anymore. And once he found it where he worked, he's like, oh yeah, I had him when I was a kid too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's there is a sense of, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the word is, but just being able to, and again, like once you've seen a seizure happen, no matter how many you've seen, especially if it's a loved one, it's just not a pleasant experience. It's right. just not, right? you know, and, but when you see that they're okay and that they're fine and that they can go back to what they were doing, a lot of kids at our camp you know, someone will have a seizure. And of course, you know, the kids are in that awkward position of wanting to respect privacy, but also right. concerned that they're okay. Yeah. You know, and so there's that balance. But, you know, once you've seen a seizure, you see that they're fine. They can go about, it makes subsequent seizures not as bad, you know. And I remember that with an employer when I had my first seizure. Um, and then subsequent ones I had, I would have what's called an aura where you can feel it kind of come on. It's a warning period. Um, 
and I was telling them I'm going to have a seizure, and I would go into her office and kind of shut the door. But after she had seen that first one, she was like, okay, she was way more comfortable because she knew I was going to be okay. Right, right. Um, same in college. My college buddies, I joked that they almost became too comfortable with it because they had seen so many, and they were like, oh, he's just having a seizure. He'll be fine. Yep. You know? <laughs> but I'm like, seizures can be medical emergencies, guys. Yeah, you have to understand. You know? right. My daughter, Grace, she had a, a, an experience. She was volunteering at an organization called Little Bit, which is a therapeutic writing center here. And she would just walk along the side of the horse when the, stu the student or the rider was on it. And the very first time that one of her riders had a seizure, she came home to tell us, you know, she couldn't tell us who it was because of HIPAA, but she, you know, my, my student, my rider, he, mm -hmm. he had a seizure and the horse knew what to do. No, the, the yeah. horse, Animals all of a sudden are... the horse stopped and it put its head down and Grace didn't know what was happening. And then she really, the other woman went, Ooh, okay. And let's hold her up. And they just, you know, put their hands on both sides so she couldn't fall off the horse. And then she came out of it and then the horse lifted its head back up and kept walking, you know? Oh. And I actually, I just had uh, Paula Delgadis, who's the executive director of little bit here sitting right where you're at just a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about how horses have this, this extra, understanding yeah. because the horse felt the aura. Yeah. And, well, that's how it, they train seizure dogs. You oh, know, really? it's to, the same same. Yep. And um I got to I got to see a seizure dog live happen once where wow. the girl was with the dog and she the dog started kind of nudging her leg and he goes I'm going to have a seizure. He's telling me I'm having a seizure. And I, I didn't really ask her. I was like, were you feeling an aura yourself or whatever? But she said, yeah, I, I'm going to have a seizure. And they they ended up <clears throat> going into a tonic-clonic seizure. And the and, and natural instinct, I went to do first seizure, first aid, which is supporting their head, you know, turning them on their side because people do drool when they're having a seizure. You want to lean them on their side. And the dog's like, get out of the way, dude. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> So, I mean, I ended up doing it, but the dog was kind of like, I, it was weird. I was like, I wanted to be helpful. And then the dog was like, no, I've been trained on this, you know? So <laughs> step aside, please, for the expert. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. But animals, yeah, it's crazy that their intuition. Um, I've never met a seizure cat, but I know they exist. Uh, someone really? has told me that their cat, you know, will come over and curl on their lap. Um, I don't know if it's coincidence, but it was many right. years ago and someone told me that the cat can sense a seizure. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Wow. That's first time I've heard of a horse, but I'm yet not yeah. surprised. Not I mean, surprised the, at all. The horse knew. And I've watched these horses. They're amazing. And actually, yeah. so we have a mutual friend, Matt Lorch, and Matt's the auctioneer for your fundraiser this year. And he is invited. You have invited me to be the mm -hmm. MC. Matt and I actually did the the, the gala bit. for yep. a little bit as well. Yep. So it's it's nice. This community of, of those of us that all you know support people with disabilities is great. Mm -hmm. and, and we're fortunate to have Matt. He's actually, I believe he's in Costa Rica right now enjoying. He just got back. Time. Or did he get back? Yep. Okay, because yep. he's going to be sitting right there here pretty soon too. Oh, so really? Yeah, he's good. Over as well. Good, good, uh, good. He'll be great. So if you could give the tidbit of information that somebody who doesn't know anything about epilepsy. Biggest thing I hear and I, I would say myself is um, people don't want 911 called a lot of the time because they're going to be okay. Now, there's what we call a five-minute rule. So the biggest thing, if you see a seizure, start timing it. And because if it gets past five minutes, that's a medical emergency and you do need to call 911. But the majority of seizures will resolve on their own. And we did a training at um, a fire department several years ago and the guys were like, you know, this is great. We talked about surgery. We got into deeper stuff than 
and they were interested. But they said the majority of the time when we show up on a call, the seizure's over with. Right. And well, I was like, well, we're educating the public and hopefully one day just know that when you're getting a call, it's because it's been past five minutes and it's an actual emergency and it's worth you know the trip. But they were like, yeah, I mean, the most part, you know, they're confused. It's natural when they're coming out of a seizure. They they have to be re, you know reoriented. Um, but uh, yeah, I would think the majority of people would say, hey, just make sure I'm safe. I don't have a knife in my hand. It makes your safety first. I'm not wandering into traffic. And then keep track of time, you know, and the majority of time I will be okay. Right. But that's, that's probably the biggest message I would say most people would want to be delivered. That's perfect. That's that's what we're looking for. Um, awesome. This this is uh, so much fun for me to learn more about you and your wife Amanda and Emily and I. You know, have have gotten ourselves in trouble around the fire pit at one of our local restaurants. We keep waiting to do that again. Uh, no, but someone keeps I pushing know, us I off. Know, I know. I know. <laughs> we were burning cheese in the fire pit, and frying French fries, throwing in the fries. Fire. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I laughed so hard my stomach was hurting. Man. Yeah, I know that was fantastic. So, um, how can people find out about it? How can they get in touch? How can they? We were talking about. Um, you know, the philanthropists of, of our area and how wonderful and giving they are and can be. How can people support your foundation? Well, our biggest event is in uh, March 2nd at the Weston in Bellevue um, is our fundraising auction that both yourself and, and Matt Larch will be supporting us with. Um, and information on that can be found at epilepsy.com slash Washington. Um, again, all proceeds support and pay for the camp for our kids and the adult programs that we offer. Um, depending on where you live and where you're listening from, I guess, is I'm also the executive director in Oregon. We have a camp, so epilepsy.com slash Oregon. We will, um, and we do an event in Oregon coming up in a couple of weeks at Top Golf, and that's March 10th. Um, we do it every year. So the galas every year, typically March timeframe, Top Golf event is March timeframe. Um, and all proceeds from those events fund the Oregon camp. So that's probably the biggest way to help. Awesome. One of the things I want to talk about the camp really quick. So I was on the governor's committee for disability in the state of Washington for many, many years, and we had a camp for kids with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And my experience in being part of that was that quite often it was the first time that these kids really got to open themselves up to other kids that are in similar situations with them so they didn't feel like you were saying earlier that they did it alone and sometimes this was the first time these kids had ever been away from their parents mm -hmm. you know they got to go to this camp and and be a little bit uh individualistic you know, mm -hmm. on their own without the support and what i love about the camps and what you're doing and what the governor's committee does is that it gives these kids ownership of their situation that they walk away from that camp not being embarrassed about the fact that they have whatever the situation is, that they learn how to talk about it, they see other people that are mentoring them with it, and they come out of it stronger human beings because of the time that they've spent with the volunteers and with other kids that are in their same situation. And, and again, and then love that. And then it's more special when they come back and volunteer. That's right. That's kind of coming full circle when they're giving back their time. Um, yeah, I just had an experience where Emily and I were at a grocery store and this little, I say little girl, she came over and 
reintroduced herself to me and then i remembered that she was one of the students at camp and she got to tell me because i get to do the keynotes so mm -hmm. that's my fun job at camp for the governor nice. and i talked to these kids about owning their disability i mean me being in a wheelchair it's you know easy for me to show them hey you know what i've embraced who i am and this is my story that makes me unique from everybody else and she came up and grabbed me and gave me a hug and said you know barry i got this job because you told me that i could do this and i thought oh yeah this is cool so our camp dates barry you're gonna come are june 30th to july 3rd <laughs> okay. in stanwood washington just outside marysville it's a beautiful piece of property that they have right on a lake um but yeah i would love to get yeah. you to yeah you bet. come check it out and see the kids and yeah we've had actually folks we've had kids in strollers that are you know nonverbal and right. they're they're based in the parents come and yeah so that's it'd awesome. be cool to have you out there oh yeah we'll do that that's fantastic well kev this was this was awesome thank you so much yeah. for sharing and for taking the time and for you know grabbing my dog food and one last question for you yes what is your favorite dessert um probably a nice chocolate cheesecake um, I'm a cheesecake fan and um, I'm not a huge sweet tooth fan so I don't have like dessert at night all the time you know but but I do like a nice you know fancy cheesecake or something nice I like it cool thanks Kev all right we'll do this again you bet you <laughs> bet